Hey everyone, this is Chris and Sandy, Ben with the Chris and Sandy Show. We get up close and personal with some amazing guests throughout the entertainment industry. And today, like I say on every episode, we've got a great show for you. We've got Levi coming on. He's done some great things out there. He's doing some great things. And we're going to really get up close and personal with him because we kind of have something in common. And you'll see in a minute what, what we're talking about. But we're excited to hear parts of the story and just talk about music and see where this goes. So Levi, how are you doing? And thank you for coming on today. Yes. Thanks for having me. I appreciate having the opportunity to talk with y'all. Um, uh, it's all, always good to connect with like-minded individuals, too. <laughs> definitely not a feeling, because yeah. with what we have in common, it definitely takes a lot out of you to get to where we are. For sure. For sure. <laughs> it's a good story I think everybody can relate, relate to, but we're talking around it. Are we going to save it till later? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> we can we we can we can give them a little suspense on what we're talking about for yeah. right yeah we'll we'll get into that yeah. a little bit um, when we get into your story a little bit yeah um, sure but I always like to start the show the same way this year as you know it's been a tough year for oh, people it has. especially oh. for artists and actors and anybody in entertainment um, so I always like to start the show out this year the same maybe next year this can change and I pray that it does yeah but how has COVID COVID affected you, and what are you doing to kind of maneuver through that? Uh, it was a tough pill to swallow, for sure. Uh, I had been in New York for a few months leading up to the pandemic uh, and had in a, in a new musical that is developing for Broadway called Pure Country, which is based on the 90s film oh, that, George cool. Stra oh. that, George, that George Strait was in. So I was going to be right. playing the role of Dusty in, huh. in the musical. <laughs> and uh, right alongside of that was uh, being seen for Hermes uh, in the Broadway musical Town, which has got some great New Orleans-influenced music mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And so I had these two great gigs on a trajectory. And then my first day of rehearsal for one of them, they sent me home and said, well, we don't know what we're going to be doing. And that was going to be my whole wow. year. It was going to wow. be two really great high profile projects that were going right. to going to be just going to just, just put a lot of steam behind me. And, uh, and so I came home and, uh, you know, I'm 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 disgustingly positive, so I don't, I don't know that that I spit. I, I'm just so my life and its struggles have been significant enough to where I always know that whatever is in front of me is shows up somehow with the tools by which for me to turn it into something that I understand was the was for my benefit. So I started thinking through that and and. Uh, looking at my own business as a singer songwriter because i have two two worlds you know it's like mm -hmm. the theater community knows me as originating the my tony award-winning role as jerry lee lewis and broadway's oh, million wow. dollar quartet yeah. uh, but then the other side the singer songwriters are like all all these people's like nieces <laughs> know me as a singer songwriter <laughs> in in like the vampire diaries and so you think you can dance and sons of anarchy so mm -hmm. so it's like i had these two worlds so i leaned back into my music uh, for this year. And I really looked at my business and, and, and how can I make it better? How can I merchandise better? How can I reach more people? Uh, and so I, I don't oftentimes as an actor have the opportunity to give the kind of love to my music as I've been able to do this year. So that's been oh, the wow. positive. 
think that's like for us, you know, when we launched, we launched this show on January 3rd of this year mm-hmm. and the original plan. And I say original was to do a hundred interviews our first year. We thought, you know what, if we did a hundred interviews, we would probably be ahead of, cause I don't know too many hosts that can say they did a hundred interviews their first year. So I thought it'd be a gate, get really great game plan. And I thought we, and I thought that would, and to be honest, I thought that was stretching it to, to be honest with you. And then COVID happens yeah. and, <laughs> and I'm sitting here like, Oh, MG there. Yeah. Everything's being shut down. These yeah. artists and actors and all that are going to need a place to talk. And I told Sandy, we're going to give them that platform because this is our year to shine because you know what, although we don't want COVID to happen, that was a, it's a silver lining for us because our show took off because of that. Yeah. And yeah. we're at like 286 shows now. Yes. 286. Fantastic. And see, you're proving that in any situation there's opportunity and yeah. it's just depending on how you think about it. Like, I've been able to rethink as well as you do. Like, what what would a virtual concert series look like for me? How yeah. could I how could I how could I broaden my net of of persons that I introduce myself to for the first time via internet marketing? Like, like it, it's all there for you if you, if you're willing to to do the work, you know, and get the opportunity. And yeah, and, and again, so much has happened with our show this year that. Sandy and I will be laying in bed at night and we almost pinch ourselves because we're like, because and, and, and the craziest part to all this is in five years, if we are, or when we're as big like a Bobby Bones show or a Ty Bentley show, we're going to look back and realize that if it weren't for COVID, we probably wouldn't be there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll still, we would still be a good show. Yeah. But I don't think we will, because again, we've surpassed anything we could have imagined already oh definitely in our first year you know with some of the guests that we've had on because i knew that when COVID happened we would probably have um i told sandy there's going to be artists and other people and other guests that are bigger than we imagined for the first year that would give a show like us who's new a chance because what else have they got to do now yeah (laughs) <laughs> and that's exactly what happened because yeah. just just the other day, like, I think about a week ago, we had Lee Bryce on. Yes, yeah. last week. So, and we've had, and the day after him, we had C- Colin Ray on. Right. <laughs> what a nice yeah. guy. Yeah, he, he, he was yeah, really cool guy. to interview. Yes, and I tell you was. what, uh, if people will go watch the Colin Ray one. He was really truthful on what he felt about um, reality competition shows. He was. And it's not that he's very ag- honest. And it's yeah. not that he's against them, but he mm-hmm. says that the problem with them, and I think you'll agree, is that if you win it, you're not prepared for the aftermath. Yeah. And because of that, that's why very few people who win those shows become big like a Carrie Underwood. Yeah. That is probably only like maybe eight of them that we actually even can remember their name after they've been on the show. Like, right. unless you're an avid fan of that show, I don't watch yeah. it either. I, right. can't, I can't stand right. them. Yeah. We, um, we do watch them and we've got people that come on to vo- come on here from the voice and idol and all that. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and they'll, some of them will admit that they weren't ready for the after, because again, you know, everybody thinks when they watch those shows that that's the work. And, that's the wrong attitude 
the work really starts the day you come home. That's when Amen. you have to figure yeah. a way to yeah. capitalize on yeah. what you just did. If you don't, yeah. you will lose every bit of momentum. Listen, you're preaching to the choir there. My my first exposure was in my first national exposure was in 2004 on mm. NBC's The Apprentice. Oh, and wow. oh, uh, it was a huge platform for me because the entire episode was featuring my music and, and original music and recording it and getting it out to XM Radio. And our team mm -hmm. had, a, had a competition to see who, right. which unsigned artist XM Radio would, would receive. And we oh, won. Wow. And so XM Radio was promoting my own, my independent <laughs> yeah. music throughout the nation. But what I now realize, and that was great, it led to like other music licensings, but that in and of itself yeah. for any artist is is that's that's just like the first launching pad that's like the first yeah, right, like, right. if you don't know what you're going time. to actually do yeah. after that if you don't have an action plan and if you're not thinking entrepreneurially you're it's uh -huh. it's going to it's going to be like who's going to care in eight months yeah because yeah, it's a you stepping know? stone you know it's a stepping it, it, stone it, 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 next step again not saying, you know, again, pe many people make it without the show, but if people who do get on the show and actually get to the yeah. live section, if they could, they could capitalize so much, whether they win or not because of that show. But, but like you said, they have to build a plan and be prepared for, okay, what do I do when I leave the show? Mm -hmm. yeah. If there's any artists listening to this too, I would I would venture to tell you that your the longevity of your career does not depend on a record label or anybody else. Yeah. And you're gonna have right. multiple opportunities of exposure. And they could be eight years apart from each other. But the thing that you have to take away from what Chris and Sandy is saying here, kids, is that you have to develop a skill of entrepreneurship. You have to have a plan for daily getting your stuff before new eyeballs. You have to know how to budget. You have to know the numbers. You learn how to spreadsheet, learn how to take care of your own business because all these great little moments that people love because they seem famous are just little blips in your 20-year career. If you don't mm. fill that out between with really intelligent action plans, you're not going to get anywhere. And exactly. so, so important. Yeah, mm. so important. Exactly. And because you already talked a little bit about your story, I guess we can go on to that direction now. Um, sure. So tell us a little bit of your backstory, including what we were talking about at the beginning. Okay. Uh, well, you know, I, I uh, had been in music ever since I was 12 years old. My mom put me on the road every weekend, a different oh, wow. church. Wow. And I always thought that I was going to do gospel music. Uh, huh. I, I ultimately did not i was not uh received by the gospel world which is its own story in and of itself but uh <laughs> what was interesting is even then i wasn't received i went through eight major record labels eight major wow. record labels wow. and uh and it was always a certain situation that still they kind of had the same opinions that the gospel record have just how do you market this person how do you do you know what what's you know uh, so i i had a lot of resistance from for, it wasn't because of the music. It was because of just, it was because of arbitrary personal things that like they thought was not marketable. But yeah. the point of all that was I found someone who began to really speak to me independently and say, why are you so convinced that a record label, and I've been, and I have been signed and courted by the toppest executives 
of the music industry, all but Clive Davis have signed me. I mean, I have, I have been, oh, I, I've been, you know, it's, so I, so in that period of time, you may be in the Guinness book of world records on for that. For <laughs> how many record labels I've gone through. Oh yeah, probably <laughs> so. But, but the thing was, I guess it was always my destiny to become an entrepreneur. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about it because I mean, now look, I look at people who started music back when I did and they don't have the skills to continue because they relied completely yeah. on the entities of major record labels. Whereas now I have a good 15 years of experience and knowing how to live and thrive on my own music. So after going through all the major record labels and nothing happened, I was with Atlantic Records as the as the eighth major record label and uh it was the producer i was working with that submitted me to the apprentice and oh, wow. uh we we did the entire episode and what you know as you know when you do an episode there's this like you have to sign a confidentiality agreement that you don't talk mm -hmm. about what you filmed until it yeah. airs and it was six months between filming it <laughs> and oh, airing wow. it and mm -hmm. so i'm sitting there now you know, been moved out of my cushy apartment from on the Upper East Side, uh, you know, because now that I'm not on Atlantic Records, I got a catering job and $200 in my pocket. <laughs> and, and I'm like, okay, so I know that this is happening. And I know mm -hmm. that I have my original material on the show. And I have six months to figure out how to turn that into something. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. I That's went into the studio. I gathered up all these original songs that Atlantic didn't use. I went to this little studio in New York City and I said to this fellow, I said, look, let me come in for one hour. I'll, I have all I have is 200 bucks. But if you let me record this album top to bottom, one time through piano vocal, that's it. And he let me. Oh, wow. It was off hours. Wow. It was fine. And so I recorded my debut album, one take song one to song eight and I got it all printed out with the help of a friend who put my website together and we had a product ready to go when the apprentice aired well some people would think the apprentice was a great lucky thing but the truth of the matter is I went and got prepared for what was going to happen right because yeah. now yeah. I'm sitting here and it airs and a over a thousand of them went out the door that night and then I had to reorder and get oh, more wow. taking back oh, orders. Yeah. And I couldn't yeah. keep up with it because it was like hitting my little website just <laughs> from, from that, from that one hour episode. And, mm -hmm. uh, then people remembered me from that and was like, Hey, I've been listening to your song on XM radio. I want to use it for days of our lives. Austin and Carrie's theme song. Okay. Oh, wow. So like a month later, oh, wow. I get that exposure and also everybody loves Austin mm -hmm. and Carrie. Everybody loves yeah. the reunion and everybody wanted the song that was their theme song. And then literally three months after that, the soap world's writing about me in soap digest and, and getting all hyped up about it. Well, they use another song in young and the restless. So then that, oh, wow. it. so, so, it, so then I'm becoming, I'm starting to appear on like soap talk and all these soap operas and stuff. And so it's like, that was like a, a triple, a triple exposure there yeah. that kind of yeah. got my independent world started. But it was another artist whose manager called me. I immediately got on my first national tour and just started cranking out albums with a, with a PR company, doing it on my own, hustling mm -hmm. on the road mm -hmm. and never stopped. Uh, continued to get a few cool licenses. I think the season finale of the Vampire Diaries was a huge, huge success. That probably turns out being the biggest hit that I have. I should go. Oh, wow. 
Um, but um, it's never not been me doing all behind the scenes, you know? And, and I think I'm a little, I'm getting to where I understand that I'm proud of that because yeah. I yeah. used to think that it was a handicap that like, oh, nobody's interested. No label wants to sign me. Well, wait a minute. There's an audience there and obviously other people value what I'm doing. Why am I going to not see the possibilities of doing this on my own and not having to pay other people? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. you know, you know, it's just, it's just like, I just, I just have never been able to take no for an answer. Now the acting side of things is in, in, in an entirely different like parallel world where I just mm-hmm. moved to LA from Nashville. And, uh, I was there for my first week. I went on a cattle call for this audition for rent, which I was just going because I oh, thought wow. it'd be fun to soak up <laughs> LA. And like, well, this is what these actors do when they get off the bus. And I had no headshot, no resume. Friendly as can be, talking to everybody I met in line. I was like 169th in line at the cattle call. I mean, I'll talk to a wrong number for 45 minutes. So, I mean, I'm, I I don't have any problem making friends. That's me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but they caught five callbacks later. I, I got the role of Roger in the national, the Broadway national tour of Rent. And then hmm. immediately came off the road from that and started studying frantically with with acting. And then my second gig was uh, the lead in an independent film, a rockabilly film that's actually hanging right there. Um, and then playing Matthew McConaughey's brother in a movie called Frailty. And so acting just kept going and it's going and going and still going right alongside the music. Um, but it's always been dependent on me. I mean, Mm-hmm. Up until mm-hmm. recently, everything on my acting resume was stuff I got on my own. Yeah, so, yeah. So like, so like, I, I, I'm, I, I'm a, a fierce component of like when I do master classes for kids at universities and and talk to these talented kids who are coming up behind me. I just need them to know no excuses. Yeah. I don't want to hear your excuses. I want you to find what's unique to you, and I want you to monetize it, capitalize on it, and don't let anybody. Don't wait for people to give you permission. Like, do That's what it. we're doing with the show. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, because this, you know, a lot of people, they see that we get on this, these lives, and they see that I have fun. We really enjoy we this. We do enjoy it. And they, say, yeah. and, they, and they think we're just having a good time. It's easy. And I'll yeah. be honest, I love this part, but outside of the show, is the most difficult part I've ever been through. It's like when you're trying to book, I mean, because we're, we're our everything. We, we, we do the booking and all that. I do the website stuff, everything. So it's yeah. like trying to book this, try, try, you know, like I was telling you before the show, there are many times I'm in a hundred conversations at once through email and I have to yeah. keep track of who's who, what's what, the goo goes where. And, 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 you know, that becomes a job in itself. And, and I really enjoy the show and I really hope that one day it's big enough to where we have sponsors and not hope, but will one day yes, to where will. then we have a team of people that can go back and forth with, with the guests. And then all I got to do is get on here. I know what I need to talk about and we go talk. (laughs) But right now it's not that it's all us and it's a lot of work. And when people hear that we've done almost 300 interviews this year, I mean, they're stunned because nobody does, does 300 interviews in the first year, but we wanted to make an impact. We wanted to say, look, we're new to this game. 
we're going to outwork everybody. And because mm-hmm. we're going to outwork everybody, the next year we're going to probably grow more than everybody. But years ago, you know, as we, you know, before all this came, you know, as we we were talking before the show, I went through 19 years of addictions and um, until I feel like God healed me almost 13 years ago. But first five years of our marriage, it was really hectic on her. But, you know, she never put me down. She never nagged me. She loved me through the like, you know, sometimes when we tell our story, people are like, Uh, Oh, she lets you walk over her. And I'm like, no, she allowed me to experience God's pure love through her. I have zero doubt that I would not be here if she didn't stand strong when I was weak. And that's what marriage really is about. I feel like in, 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 in my marriage as well, it's like, you know, our spouses are in our situation, Chris, I say it as they are the grace of God personified. (laughs) <laughs> because because had I been, you know, I, I in my imperfection and my addiction uh, certainly don't feel like I was a vibrational equivalent to attracting something so, <laughs> so, so wonderful. Uh-huh. Um, and it really was the grace of God that smiled upon me and said, you know, uh, here, here's your angel. Here's your angel, and and for way. every for everything that you cannot know for yourself, this person will know for you. And I feel like you know, a lot of people ask about how our marriage has worked through the addictions, and I truly believe in my heart that God brought her into my life to heal me. You know, because because you know when people marry, especially when they do it God's way. Now, granted, if you just go anywhere and you're trying to just marry anybody, then all bets are off. But when you have a marriage that you really feel came from God, mm-hmm. um, I feel like God brings two people together to help heal each other. And I really believe that because of our foundation with God, that's what kept her strong those first five years of our marriage, because she always believed that God brought us together for a purpose. If yeah. she did not believe that, she would have gave up earlier. Mm-hmm. And but she believed that, OK, I don't know what's going on here, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but something is going on. I know God brought us together. I know I, I just I and she believed this with all her heart. So she was willing to sacrifice and be that vessel for God yeah. to hopefully see the change come out of me eventually. And she got her wish on December 26, 2007. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure there's people out there that can relate to your story, you know, that have experienced that same thing, you know. So how did addictions come into your life? Where did, how did that start? And I know you're doing some projects around addiction. So tell us a little bit about that side. Well, I mean, I do believe that the fundamental uh, core of addiction and alcoholism is a lack of self-worth. And so many of us have stories uh, in our history that affirm that and uh whether it's uh abusive fathers uh whether it's uh molestations or rapes or authority figures that we're constantly putting us down it doesn't have to be as dramatic as those things it can simply be being surrounded by uh by influences and authority figures that are constantly putting you down i i think there's never been an addict or an alcoholic i can't trace back to like a 
a real fundamental problem with self-worth. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so because of that, while I am definitely not a kind of guy who likes the, let me find it. Um, the uh, trendy sort of spirituality, yeah. the, right. the memes about like, you know, this is me, I'm perfect as I am, and you better <laughs> like my flaws. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not, what I, what I am committed to is really truly understanding what self-love is, mm -hmm. but not from a meme yeah. standpoint, mm -hmm. but from an action standpoint. And understanding right. that self-love is just an idea if you're not actually willing to apply discipline, mm -hmm. uh, action, uh, moving your feet in the direction of doing the things that actually does give yourself pride. You know, I've always loved that song, what have you done today to make yourself feel proud? Mm -hmm. And that's the very thing that I'm talking about. Like. Yeah. I, for me, it is my daily spiritual practice. For me, it is going to a meeting. For me, mm -hmm. it is being surrounded by men who know this struggle and who can affirm who I need to be as a man. Um, for me, those are the things that I have to stay active in, present in, and continue to make a part of my daily life. So uh, that's very so I, i'm committed to that message of self-love right um mm -hmm. because we do need to realize that that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of god and that within us we are the king's kids mm -hmm. all that is heavens is ours and i am not going to be told otherwise and i'm not going to settle for otherwise you know so in the alignment of what is spiritual truth yeah you know then the power then I can own that power with confidence. Yeah. I don't have to hide from it. It's who I am, you know, and that feels, that feels good. Yeah. And I definitely know where you're coming from on that <clears throat> because again, you know, sometimes when, uh, when people um, go through the dark times, mm -hmm. then when they, when they start to tell their story, sometimes people tend to say, I brought myself out. And I could never do that because I know without a doubt that mm -hmm. if it weren't for God's presence in our marriage, mm -hmm. not only not only did he heal my heart from the addictions, yeah. but he yeah. but he healed the marriage that I put in the dump. And, yeah. you know, and it's like, you know, the marriage that we have today, I, you know, sometimes when we tell our story, I'll have people tell me that, oh, you know, because I went 19 years of addictions to just then God healed me. And they're like, that's impossible. They're like, I've had people tell me I shouldn't tell my story because we didn't use any program or any of that, you know, and it's my story. <laughs> and I've had people say you don't have you to do the work every day. And that's yeah. the thing that they may not understand. Right. Yeah. You still have to do the work every day. Exactly. Yeah. No matter no matter what, there's still like, like for our marriage. You know, a lot of people don't get I, I get in sometimes Facebook um, discussions, I should say, <laughs> with people because what you know, they I, I see people talk on Facebook about how um, they're that you you you're going you have to if you have zero arguments in your marriage or you don't have many. 
then you have an unhealthy marriage. And I always comment on that because what people don't get is we have invested close to 10,000 hours from books, seminars, sermons, um, conferences, retreats into our marriage. We spend three, four, five hours a day just talking about our fears, our hurts, our, uh, you know, our desires, our dreams every day. We, we, yeah. we do all this. We do all the work so that when mm -hmm. there are issues that come up that we don't agree, where we can easily compromise. There's no argument there. And I've had right. people tell me, well, that if you don't argue at all, that's unhealthy. I'm like, well, we do the work before the argument happens. <laughs> and because we do the work beforehand, then when those issues come up, there's not an argument there where she says her right. piece, I'd say my piece, and then we compromise. Yeah. 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 What, I, what I want people to know out there, though, is that if you come to the conversation of people like Chris and myself, where uh, you might feel like we're a broken person and that maybe maybe there's even a little condescension there. I want to <laughs> I, I love I love I love this 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 uh, observation by a gentleman named Deepak Chopra. Mm -hmm. He has a great book called Addiction. And he talks about this. He says, people who are drawn to addictions inherently are seeking a transcendental experience that they've just answered with a false substitute. Mm -hmm. Now, what does that mean? Well, we're a special people that sees the potential of a transcendental spiritual experience. And in our life, contextually, maybe we've never been given the knowledge and the wisdom to understand what that is and how to engage mm -hmm. in it. That's why AA, or, 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 or if you're just using a spiritual solution, spiritual solutions are the reason. Because then when we, being inherently who we are, loving and seeking a transcendental experience, we are not the people who like the status quo. We, yeah. we are not fine with the norm. And that's why I think we're special. Because, we, because, because we're, we don't want the status quo we seek when we align with the spiritual truth of who we are, we develop a transcendental spiritual experience. Our walk with God, our spirituality can be incredibly illuminating for us. It can be powerful for other people because just because we're in our shadow self does not mean that we're not leaders in the truth of who we are spiritually. Mm -hmm. And usually it's those people who are the leaders when they align themselves with the spiritual truth of who they are and they understand that their solution is a spiritual solution, what may seem to be a handicap and a crutch actually turns out being the thing that makes them unique and makes them a leader. So I want everybody out there who's struggling with addiction and alcoholism to try to maybe entertain the idea that that's in you too. Mm -hmm. That's and, in you too. And, you know, you're so right on the issue. I mean, when you were talking earlier about the self-worth thing, I remember when I looked back, you know, I was 14 years old. I was molested back then. Um, so you brought that up. Um, then mm -hmm. when I when and it only happened a couple of times. So, you know, was it like because I know some people that's like for years, it was a couple of times, but it was enough when you're a 14 year old male. It's enough to really bring that self-image way down. Then yeah. I moved it from that into the bicycle. I did a lot of bicycle stuff. I mean, I devoted my life 
to bicycles back at, from 14 to 17. I mean, I was one of them people that could have went pro um, with BMX and all that. I rode the ramps. I did all, I stood on the handlebars of the bikes. I did all that because I think I was covering up the issues from the past and I poured everything into this. Then all of a sudden at 17 years old, this is where downhill started going. Cause at 17 years old, I had so many friends. I say that was, Oh, you're still on that bicycle. You, you need to give that thing up. You know, uh, you know, you, that's for children. That's this, that's mm-hmm. that. And I didn't, because I've always been a follower back then, if I would have thought about it, I'd have realized back then, if you look at every professional BMXer, they were from 20 to 22 years old on average. So I was actually on the right track. I just had to keep it going because I was good. I've got trophies from that, from that era. Um, so I was really good, but I let people around me to dictate it. Well, as you know, when you've got this vision, this dream, when you, when that fades, that's when addictions come because you have to cover, you have, you know, you, you had a sense of purpose. That purpose is gone. And so now all of a sudden I, I got my first taste of uh, alcohol, a friend of mine, we, we drank um, vodka. My very first drink was vodka, and I was just plastered. But that was my f- first time at 17 years old. And it just went downhill from there. And I went in and out of jail and done a lot of jail stuff and this and that. And it just snowballed. And again, when I look back on my life now, I can honestly say I've always felt like an outcast. Now, in the past, I thought that was a bad thing. I'll be honest. I think it's a blessing because now we're still an outcast, but we're a good kind of outcast. You know, people put us down because we live a 24 seven marriage. Um, People don't understand that. We've been 24 seven marriage for 18 years of our marriage and people, oh, that's unhealthy. That's this, that's that. We homeschool our eight year old. -old. That's an outcast. We started a show from scratch that people will say it can't work. That's it. So, so I'm sitting here like all my life, I thought being an outcast was actually a negative. Now I realize that when you stand out, that's where God wants you. Amen. Amen to all of that. Yeah. And, and you know what's For funny? Sure. We, you know, we never know where the show's going to go. And I love that because it's different every time. It is. And, yeah. and, all of a sudden, the show took a whole different route than I thought. But you know what? I love it. I love it when this happens. Yeah. Well, I, I love get. I love getting the message out there because there are always people out there who need to hear this stuff. Yeah. Just when I think that you're talking too much about it, then I realize somebody else hears it and it's like, oh, man, I needed to hear that. So, <laughs> yes. so thanks for talking about it today with me. I have no problem with it. So, um as you know, a lot of people, they see the artist or the actor and and they don't see the team that helps them. be. And I think you you may be your own team. I'm not sure about this. But if you do got people that kind of support what your wife is part of your team. But I always like to have people talk about their team and I don't have a team of one or a team of yeah. 300 like Justin Bieber says yeah. he has. It don't matter. Mm-hmm. You can't fully do what you need to do without that team and their support. So tell us a little bit about the team that helps you be who you are. Well, you know, I do have one team member, you know, uh, 
someone very dear to me who goes to bat for me as far as uh, booking things and just mm-hmm. negotiating. Yeah. But but uh, he's exclusively like booking and uh, oh, wow. and and tour managing and literally everything else is me. That's the I hardest mean, part so. to it. It is. Well, it's just that you know. Being in my business, there are always people like m- the majority of people are going to want to be uh, to try to get by with with not following through with contracts with sometimes they're just straight out shysty and they're like conniving and they just really want to take advantage of the artist. And very frequently, people need to be reminded that you're not taking advantage of me, you know, mm-hmm. and because I usually like to just show up and be as friendly as Dolly Parton. <laughs> My East Tennessee sister, because I'm all here in the Smoky Mountains, um, it takes someone else being the opposite in yeah. order to protect mm-hmm. that. And so behind every Dolly Parton, I guarantee there's somebody who ain't taking shit. Yeah, you know? Absolutely. Because, yeah. because you can't. There's just absolutely no way. I mean, like the, the entertainment industry, especially for, for, I believe, recording artists and singer-songwriters, because we as actors have unions that protect our interests all yeah. the time. Yeah. For singer-songwriters, there could be no better way to have the toughest of skin. And so, you know, he he's where I need him, which is he's my voice to the world and he has my back. Uh, when it comes to negotiating things and and everything else, then beyond that is a hundred percent me. So I love that. And, and yeah. you know, and we've kind of got a third team member ourselves, a little eight, eight year old boy yeah. that we always bring on to ask one question. So Sandy's gonna go I'll get him real uh-huh. quick. And you know, we got a twenty month old daughter that when she gets older, we'll be plugging her into the show because we are a family affair show. That's great. I love that. Uh, you know, I, I will say I, I have to give a shout out to there. You know, in doing this for 15 years, there's always been a friend here and a friend there who's just provided yeah. the opportunities that I needed. You know, like I've had like two of my TV licenses were just friends who oh, wow. were worked in the show and uh-huh. said, I, I'll get your song to them, you know. So wow. but I've always believed in tribe. You know, I believe that like we all rise together. I've always liked that. Well, hi there. Hi, Levi. What's your favorite food? My favorite food? Yes. Well, I can tell you my favorite little snack that's really hard for me to say no to. And that could be grasshopper cookies Mm. or Fritos. (laughs) Yeah, I have a real hard time saying no to Fritos. Do you like Fritos? Yes, I do. See, they're good, huh? Yes. <laughs> yeah, and if you don't know what grasshopper cookies are, go check them out and, and get back to me and tell me if you like them. Ooh. <laughs> and they're, what's like, they're like they're like the the Girl Scout cookies, Thin Mints. They're the exact same thing. They're like you, you like the Thin Mint cookies, right? Mm, yes. Oh yeah. Well, then you're gonna love grasshoppers, and you <laughs> and you don't have to wait for that time of year. You can just go to your local Kroger and get them right now. <laughs> so what's your favorite food pizza pizza oh i'm with you i'll go with that too what kind <laughs> of pizza like, do you like the best i like pepperoni and <laughs> sausage oh his shirt he's laughing about his shirt, <laughs> oh, his shirt. he, he his wore shirt. a green shirt i know i know floating head <laughs> that's funny but we that's forget great. about that we forget about the color of your shirt right. matters sometimes yeah. <laughs> sure. well it's nice to meet you young man nice to meet you too 
Bye. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for being on the Chris and Sandy show today. You're welcome. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, fun. But yeah. Well, thanks for your time today. This has been nice. It's definitely been different and all that. It has. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, you know. sometimes it's good to come out of, you know, we talk so much of the same stuff over and over and over. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's a refresh to go a different route. It is. It is. And you never know who's waiting to hear that kind of thing, you know? So Most true. Definitely. So if you want to yeah. tell everybody how they can reach out to you. Yes. Oh, of course I would. Well, um, I would most love people to go to levichrist.com and uh, sign up for my email list because uh, that is the very best way to not to always have the inside scoop. Everybody on my email list gets content like uh, new music releases and new videos before anybody else. Always discounts coming to email. And then I get to have a personal one-on-one. -on -one. And that's the biggest thing about signing up for my email is that I actually then get to like I reply to every email that people reply to. I'm the one creating it. I'm the one sending it. People know that they can like randomly wish me happy Thanksgiving and I'm going to be there and be like, hey, what are you all doing for Thanksgiving? Oh, I remember your right. your eight year old boy. So how's he doing? You know, and so I actually get to know I get to know people yeah. a lot better if I just cut the crap with the social and say, go to my website, sign up for email so that I can actually have a one-on-one -on -one connection. So levichrist.com, yeah. that's K-R-E-I-S, right there on the screen, right there. Um, <laughs> Easy enough. And yeah, we Easy really enough. enjoyed, yes. we definitely enjoyed having you on the show. We, we definitely look forward to having you back. Ah, uh, listen, it's a pleasure. Thanks for reaching out for me, out, out to me and having me on. And uh, yeah, happy holidays to both of you.